Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys this morning. You know, really, I'm blessed and honored to be with you guys and to share the word with you today. As I was praying about what the Lord would have me to share on, really, it's something that more recently in my life, the Lord has been using to speak to my heart. And it's something that he's been using to stir me and to challenge me, to really go deeper with him and to continue to live a life of faith. And I pray that this morning, you guys are encouraged and challenged and built up as I've been through this passage of scripture. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter one? And I'm a firm believer that you can't have enough prayer, so let's pray. Father, we do give you this time. Lord, you have said in your word that Lord, you magnify your word above your very own name. Lord, that's how high you esteem your word. Because Lord, a man is only as good as his word is. And Lord, your word paints a true, beautiful, glorious picture of who you are. Lord, it doesn't over-exaggerate. In, in fact, I don't think we get a good enough picture of how great you are, Lord. We want more of you, Lord. We want to experience you to the fullest extent. God, we want you to be working in our hearts. Lord, we don't want to be stagnant. We don't want to be those who watch you do things and be someone who sits on the sidelines. We want to be right in the action of what you're doing, what your spirit is doing. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would use me, Lord, just as an empty vessel, Lord, that you can pour into and out of, that, Lord, your people this morning, God, would be encouraged. Because, Lord, I don't know these people, Lord, you do. You know their hearts, you know what they're going through, you know the things that they need to hear, you know the encouragement, the comfort, Lord, even the correction maybe, Lord, that they need. And so God, would you do that by your spirit, through the power of your word, God, would you speak to each heart this morning? Would we leave this place more in love with Jesus Christ than when we walked in? Lord, that's my prayer. Lord, if they take anything away from this, would they have a greater love for you? So Lord, bless this time in your word. We thank you, Father, pour out your spirit, now we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning I titled this message, Continuing in Faith, and it's really uh, gleanings from Joshua chapters one through six. And I say gleanings because I'm not gonna be expositionally teaching through every single verse of the first six chapters of Joshua, otherwise we would only be reading the whole entire time, which is okay, but I'm gonna be sharing some things that the Lord's put on my heart. So. Let's start by reading in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Now, in verse 1, we really get the setting, okay? This all started taking place after the death of Moses. So the book of Joshua is really just a continuation of the book of Deuteronomy. And in verse 2, we see God's commissioning of Joshua, who was Moses' assistant. And it was funny because I was reading part of this actually yesterday to my kids. And uh, when I got to Joshua, the son of Nun, I said, look, he didn't have any parents And my older daughter said, oh, I thought it was more like a Catholic nun. And I was like, oh, see, you're even funnier than I am. (laughs) Now, remember that Joshua was one of the 12 spies who 40 years earlier went to spy out 
the land on the other side of the Jordan, or what we call the promised land, and brought back news of what he saw. The 12 men came back from spying out the land, and in Numbers chapter 13, we're told that they reported back that it really was a land flowing with milk and honey. That God was really right about what he said was on the other side of the Jordan River, and they even brought back fruit with them to show that the land really was as good as the Lord said it was. But then 10 of the spies decided to focus on all the seeming impossibilities and obstacles, like the people of the land being strong, the cities being fortified and very large, and that there were giants in the land. And even though Caleb and Joshua, who both had great confidence in the Lord, even though they tried to speak to the congregation, telling them how great the land was and how good God was and how he could give it to them, how they shouldn't be afraid of the people. In fact, Joshua says, look, these people are just bread for us. We're going to eat them up. And ultimately that the Lord was with them, the Israelites didn't accept the report. And instead, they chose the bad report that was given by the 10 other spies. And ultimately the result of their unbelief and complaining was that that generation over 20 years old, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, wouldn't be able to enter into the promised land, but would instead die in the wilderness. Those people were right at the border. They were right at the edge of being able to just go into the land that God desired for them to go into, and yet they wouldn't continue into that land because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. But their children, the ones that they were so concerned about that they used as kind of like their excuse Those kids under 20 years old, along with Joshua and Caleb, would enter into the promised land instead of them and see God do amazing things and get to experience that abundant life that God was having waiting for them. And faith, if you haven't learned this yet already in your Christian walk, is huge to God. In fact, our faith is precious and pleasing to God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is no way to please God apart from faith. It's not our righteousness, because the Bible tells us they're just filthy rags to him anyway. It's not that that pleases God, it's faith that he wants to reward and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul said, For we walk by faith and not by sight. I don't even have to tell you guys this, but the truth is that this world walks by its sight. Just as those Israelites did in the wilderness, they walked by their sight and they missed out on entering into the life that God truly desired for them. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we're told, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our faith is the substance of our hope, and it's the evidence of the things which aren't able to be seen. And then we see through the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, which is called by many people the hall of faith, we see how by faith men and women acted upon what they believed. Faith is the outflow of the belief that we profess to have. Faith is not theoretical, it's practical, and it's active. 
Now, as I said earlier, that this isn't going to be a verse-by-verse study, but gleanings from each chapter that the Lord showed me. Let's read verses 2 through 4, and then I want to give you the first thing that I see here in our text this morning. Read with me, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. This morning I'm going to give you ten things that I've personally learned from these first six chapters of Joshua, and I could actually make a lot more than ten, but for the sake of time, ten is like the max, okay? So if you take notes, I'm not expecting you to. It's not like I have great things to say, but God's word is great. I want to give you the first thing I gleaned from chapter one on continuing in faith, which we see in verses two through four, and it's that when God says he's going to do something, he makes good on his promises. Do you guys say amen in here? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you for that. God didn't tell Joshua that he was going to give the Israelites all this territory and then leave them hanging once they got into the land. In fact, towards the end of the book of Joshua, after they had gone in and fought many battles and taken the land, we read this in Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. Check it out. It says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. God will make good on his promises to us. And notice in these few verses that it all points back to him. That's why I underline that text. It all points back to him. Guys, what we walk in, the faith that we live out, is because of the faithfulness of the one that we follow. We're able to live out this life of faith. We're able to trust that he's going to make good on what he has said because he has proven himself to be faithful. And just like God said to Joshua, it's true for us, all will come to pass. When he makes a promise, he's going to stand true to it. And if he's calling you to something today, he's not going to leave you hanging, and he will not fail. Just like in that song that we sang, you know, his love never fails. His promises never fail. Because isn't that what we think sometimes? Like, Lord, I would talk to that person about you, but if I do, my mind might go blank when I'm talking, and I'm just going to look dumb. So I'm just not going to do it. Then we just don't share. We don't talk. There's some sort of disconnect in our minds where we think, well, if I step out in this, he's not going to meet me in it. He won't come through. Maybe he won't empower or enable me. And I want to encourage you that he will fulfill his promise. If he's calling you to do something, because that's really the key, right? If he's calling you to do something, he will bring it to pass. He will give you that ability to do it, and he won't leave you hanging. Let's go on in verse 5, where we see our next point. 
It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Amazing. The second thing I gleaned from chapter 1 on continuing in faith, which we see in verse 5, is that no man can stand against us when God is calling us to something. And as I showed you from later in Joshua in, in chapter 21, it said that not a man of all their enemies stood against them, that the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Check out what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Guys, listen, a called man or woman can't be stopped. Not because of their never-say-die attitude, right? It's not our gumption or our moxie. It's not about that. But because God's anointing is upon a person's life, that anointing is driving them forward, and no forces of darkness nor the strongest man on earth can stop what the Lord is wanting to do through an individual who is surrendered and led by his spirit to fulfill his purposes and plan. Do you guys believe that? I hope you do. Because that belief is what's going to change what takes place through our actions. Because sometimes, guys, we say, yeah, Lord, I believe you in this, but then our actions speak differently, right? Lord, I believe that you can take care of my finances, but when everything starts to go bad, it's like, Lord, where are you? you, you you've left me. I've got like 10 bucks to last me for two weeks. How's that going to work here in the Bay Area? It's so expensive. Amen? Oh, okay. But it's true, right? It's true. But guys, if, if the Lord is calling, and I say guys in a general sense. I have a bad habit of that. I say guys, I'm speaking to men and women. Sorry if I offend you. No one can stand against you if God is calling you to something. Believe that. Now, the third thing I gleaned from chapter 1 on continuing in faith, which we also see in verse 5, is that on our journey of faith, he has promised us three things. He's promised his presence, and that he won't leave us, and he won't forsake us. God didn't say to Joshua that he wouldn't have opposition, but that that opposition wouldn't stand. And his encouragement to Joshua was that as he had been with Moses, he would also be with Joshua. He promised his presence, and he has made that same promise to us. We're not going to go through this life alone. We have him. We have him, guys. And he's not going to leave, and he's not going to cast us aside. And this would have been huge to Joshua because he had seen God's hand upon Moses' life. He had seen God take a very timid and humble man in Moses and showed himself strong in Moses' weaknesses. Think about it. Do you guys recall in your minds when God initially called Moses? Moses made every excuse in the book to try and get out of it. He told God he couldn't do it. He told God that he wasn't a good speaker. You guys ever feel that way? And he even asked God if there was someone else he could send instead of him. Don't you have, don't you have There's like somebody better than me, Lord. Don't you want to send the other guy? He didn't want to do it, and yet God took this man who was humble enough to humble himself before God 
And God showed himself strong through Moses and made Moses into a deliverer for his people. And Joshua saw that. Joshua spent time with Moses. He was his assistant. He was right there with him. He had seen Moses go into the tabernacle of meeting. And he saw and knew that Moses had a real relationship with the true and living God as God's presence would descend upon that tabernacle. And Moses would leave that place with his face shining because of the glory of God. To the point that when Moses would leave the tabernacle of meeting, Joshua, the Bible tells us, would linger. He would hang around that tabernacle for as long as he could after Moses left. Because that's where the presence of the Lord was. And he saw what God's presence did in Moses' life. He just wanted to be where God was. I hope that's our heart this morning. God, I just want to be where you are. I just want you. Because sometimes we get so caught up with stuff and all the stuff that's going around us that we lose sight of the one thing that will really fulfill us, the only thing that fulfills us, the only thing that will satisfy us, and that is Jesus Christ. He wanted to be where God was, and because he saw the flaws in Moses even, this sort of encouragement would have been huge to him, to say, you know what, maybe God can use me too. If he's telling me that he's going to be with me like he was with Moses, then that's good enough for me. That's what I need to keep going. But let me tell you, he'll do the same for you and I. He will be with us. Now, in verses 6 through 9, God is going to tell Joshua three times to be strong and to have good courage or to be very courageous. And then he's going to give Joshua an assurance and an encouragement. Let's check out verses 6 through 9. Again, this is God speaking to Joshua. He says, Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And I love this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The fourth and final thing I've gleaned from chapter 1 on continuing in faith, which I see here in these verses, is that God's command to be strong and courageous is assured by his promise, his power, and his presence. His promise, his power, and his presence. Here's the thing. When challenges or trials or setbacks or fears or worry or whatever comes our way, and we remember the command to be strong and courageous, to not be afraid nor be dismayed, what do we fall back on and rest and trust in? First, God's promises, his word. We are to live by it and cling to it, to not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. We're to speak of it and remind ourselves of it, to meditate on it day and night, and we're to live it out, to walk in it. Secondly, God's power. Because you and I cannot stand in our own strength, but we can stand in his strength because he can cause us to stand. 
Have you guys ever tried to stand in your own strength before? Tried in your flesh to make it through things in your life and found out that you just can't do it? That it has to be the Lord causing you to stand? Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, and he is wily. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And he can cause us to stand, guys, in his strength and in his might. And thirdly, God's presence. We have nothing to fear when he tells us that he will be with us wherever we go. And Joshua was going to need these encouragements and assurances because he had a really big task ahead of him in leading these people into the land that God was promising to them. A big task. Let's move on into chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 3 where we're going to see our next point here. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Here in chapter 2, we see the fifth thing that I've gleaned on continuing in faith, and that's that God is able to redeem past failures and give us more chances to step out in faith. Think about it. Here's Joshua. He's now called to take in the people of Israel. Joshua, who was once one of the 12 spies who were sent into the land, and now they're back here again 40 years later at the same place, Kadesh Barnea. That same place of that line where it's like, okay, are we really going to enter in or are we going to fall back again? Are we going to falter in our faith again? And Joshua, who remembers as being in the promised land and having confidence in his God, he gets this second chance. And realize he didn't personally fail that first time. He had faith. But the people, they failed the test. And because of that, Joshua and Caleb had to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness wandering with them. And so here Joshua, with the second chance to send spies into the land, takes this opportunity to trust in his God and have faith in what God called him to do. And I think that this probably speaks to a lot of us in this room because maybe there have been times in our own past where God has given us opportunities, chances to take steps of faith, and maybe we didn't take those chances. Maybe we didn't take all those opportunities. And afterwards we thought, Lord, if you just give me another chance, I'll make good on it. You guys ever been in that place? You feel like the Lord's called you to something, you didn't do it. Maybe a conversation that the Lord was really prompting you by his spirit and you just, maybe it was out of your own selfishness or maybe just out of fear. 
that you didn't do it. And later on, you knew that you knew that you knew that God was speaking to your heart and you're just like, Lord, I want to make good on that. Give me another chance to talk to that person again. Let me run into them on the bar again. Whatever. Let me run into them at the grocery store again. And if you've ever experienced that feeling of feeling like you failed an opportunity for faith, be encouraged by Joshua. Because as God gave Joshua another opportunity to check out the land and to act in faith, he'll do the same with us. And I don't know about for you guys, but in my own life, he's not just the God of second chances. He's the God of like thousands of chances in my life. Not that he's wanting us to test him on that, right? I mean... That's not what he's desiring, but he's extremely patient with us, isn't he? The Bible tells us that he's long-suffering, which when I think of the word long-suffering, I think that on the other end, somebody's getting the raw end of the deal. They're suffering because of something that I'm doing, and I'm pretty sure I've grieved the Lord at times in my life. But he loves us, and he's patient, and he's wanting us, and he's beckoning us to take another step to just try one more time to keep going. And that's really what we see with Joshua here. Now in verses 8 through 11, let's go on to read what happened after Rahab hid them on her roof. It says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. Here we see the sixth thing that I've gleaned on continuing in faith, and it's that when we live by faith, it makes an impact on others and brings glory to God. Rahab's report about the people of the land shows us two things, okay? One, that God had already been working in advance of them getting there, and two, that God's hand upon the Israelites' lives as they journeyed out of Egypt into the wilderness and through their time in the wilderness caused Rahab to become a believer in the God of Israel. This is cool. Listen, she says, we heard about when you crossed from Egypt into the wilderness. We heard about when you defeated the Amorites in the wilderness and our hearts melted. And when... When did their hearts melt, guys? When did they lose their courage and become faint-hearted and become easy for defeat? Not after they entered into the promised land, but while they were still in the wilderness. God was at work on the other side before they ever got there. He was on the other side working. To where, when they would actually enter in the victory... I'm sorry, when they would enter into the land, the victory would be theirs easily. So what are we shying back from today? Is there something that we're thinking, I just don't know, Lord, it just, it seems hard. 
seems beyond me. Because even in that moment, even in the moment when we're feeling weak in our faith, you know what's cool? The Bible tells us that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful still. Amen. Even in their time of rebellion, even in the time where they had unbelief and they were complaining against God, God was working then on the other side to prepare the way for them. And secondly, again, their life of faith impacted Rahab to the point that she would say this, the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven and on earth beneath. It impacted her life to the point where she would become part of the Israelites later on after they would enter into the land. Now, we don't know the extent of how our lives impact other people, but I think my life at times in the past negatively impacted others, and I'm not happy to say that. Maybe you guys would be honest enough to say that about yourselves, or maybe you're just way better than me, I don't know. But for me personally, I can say, when I look back, I wish I could go, man, I was just solid all the way. And everyone would look at me and go, yeah, that guy's solid, but no, I'm pretty sure I probably negatively impacted people. But I can't wait to see how by God's grace, as his spirit is at work in and through our lives, and we live this life of faith, how that's going to impact other people for the kingdom of God. Because people are watching us. And a lot of times we don't like that. But they're watching us. And we can be those who by our lives make people go, man, there is a God. There is a God in heaven and on earth and he's real. And I want him. And we can be a part of that and that's amazing. Now, moving on into chapter 3, we're going to read this whole chapter. I know it's 17 verses, but it's just so good. I couldn't figure out how to leave anything out, and I don't want to anyways. Well, let's read it together, okay? Starting in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, which is about half a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. Ites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore... 
Take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho, then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Here in chapter 3, we see the seventh thing that I've gleaned on continuing in faith. And it's that in order to enter into the land, we have to step into the water in faith. Check it out. When the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, God told Moses to lift his rod and to stretch out his hand over the Red Sea and to divide it, and that the children of Israel would walk on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And obviously, this required faith on Moses' part, as he was the one told to divide the sea. But for the children of Israel, they just had to walk across on dry ground. Now, faith was still required in them, but it was just trusting that God would keep the walls of water from crashing in on them. Spiritually, this crossing from Egypt into the wilderness represents salvation, which is also called by the Apostle Paul in Galatians being baptized into Christ. Now, faith is required on our end, believing in Jesus, but God has done all the work. But now here, God calls them to another step of faith and another parting of waters. Only this time, instead of the waters parting before they had to step in, the priests now carrying the Ark of the Covenant had to step into the water first before God was going to cause the water to be stopped far away up the river. Now, some people mistakenly think that this crossing spiritually represents passing from this life into heaven but let me tell you why that wouldn't be true because in heaven there aren't any more battles to fight because in heaven there is no more death as there would be with the israelites and in heaven there is no land still waiting to be taken guys in heaven there is no sin to be dealt with which we will see shortly with a man named Achan. What this crossing actually represents spiritually for us is, is that crossing into the spirit-filled, abundant life, which Jesus promised his disciples in Acts chapter 1 when he said that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from that point. This is the second baptism. It's that victorious Christian life that Jesus wants us to experience as his spirit begins to call the shots and direct our lives, as he gives us gifts to profit his body, as he causes us to be witnesses in this world, and as he produces fruit through us to the glory of God. 
Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. In Joshua chapter 3, where the priests bear the ark and step into the water, we could go, well, yeah, it's the priests. It's the pastors. It's the church leadership. These are the guys that should be taking the steps of faith. These are the guys that should be taking the risks. Not us. But let me tell you why that wouldn't be right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to what Peter says. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Each one of us spiritually are priests unto our God. For you dudes in here that are husbands, fathers, you are the priest of your home. You are the representative of Jesus Christ to your wife and to your kids. And that is serious. That's a serious calling. This is a serious responsibility. But it's awesome. And we can do it by God's grace. We can show our kids Jesus. We can lead our wives to Jesus, not drive them to Jesus as they're running away from us, but lead them to Jesus. But check this out, guys. What we really see, or what I've seen in this, and what the Lord's used in my life, is that I see this continual progression of faith. God didn't want them to stay in the wilderness. Understand, some good stuff happened in the wilderness. They were delivered from bondage in Egypt going into the wilderness. It was at Mount Sinai that they received God's law. Where they received instruction on worship, on the tabernacle, on the priesthood, on having the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence would reside. Good things took place in the wilderness, but that's not where God wanted them to stay. He wanted them to move forward because he had promised them more something else beyond the wilderness. And somehow we can find ourselves sometimes just kind of staying there. Like we just hang out at Kadesh Barnea, obviously not physically, but spiritually, where we know God wants to do more with our lives, where we know that God can use us, not because of us, but because of how great he is. And he's just saying, I have something more for you. And be encouraged he didn't just come to give us life, although he has given us that. He gave us real life because before him, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sin and in our trespasses. But God stepped in and he made us alive. But he wants us to have more than just life. More than just ho-hum, going through the motions, life. He wants to give us abundant, above-the-norm life. Life where we see him working. Life where we see him moving through us and in us. And it brings us to places where we're just blown away by how good he is. I teach the young adults ministry at the, my church back home. And two years ago, one of the guys in our group decided he wanted to do an outreach. And I was like, sweet, man. Like, let's do it. You want to go and share the gospel with people? There's this thing in a city right by us where they call it Taco Tuesday. 
which strangely enough is where they sell tacos on Tuesdays. But hundreds of people show up at this thing. They buy their tacos and they just get super drunk, party it up, and they just hang out. He's like, let's go. Let's go and share the gospel. Let's pass out stuff. And I was like, let's do it, dude. So we got a group together. We went over there. And as we were there, my wife and I were walking together. It's my beautiful wife up here in front. And as we were walking, she's like, hey, there's some kids on the other side of this field, like some youth kids. Let's go share the gospel with them. And I was like, okay, cool. So we start to walk across the fields. And that field was like the Jordan to me. Because as we were walking, it's like I was in my mind starting to wrestle with a bunch of excuses and fears of why this maybe wasn't the greatest idea to go do it. And I'm thinking as we were going along, like, well, that's cool. It was her idea. She'll talk to them. I'll just kind of give support. And so we're walking across the field, and she's like, so what are you going to say to him? I was like, it, uh, it was your idea. She's like, well, you're the spiritual leader. You're the pastor. And I'm like, oh, man, like, you're right. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, gosh. Um, and I'm telling you this just to be like, I'm, you don't know me, but I, this is like my life is an open book. Like I'm going to be completely transparent with you, maybe to a fault. But as we're walking across, I'm just like super selfish. Like, oh, I don't want to do this. this isn't, oh, I just don't want to do it. And so as we're walking across, we get to the other side of the field, there's about eight youth kids, high school, junior high age. And I'm like, how do I intro this? Like, how do I start the conversation? Like, how do I do this? So I just start going up to them, shaking their hands, giving them a pound. What's up? What's up, guys? What's your name? You know, like just small talk, chit chat. And like a couple of minutes go by and it was like not going anywhere. Like, this is stupid. This is so lame. I'm, I'm lame. And so, I was like, all right, Lord, this, this is not going to go anywhere. Like, I got to give them you. So I just started to share the gospel with them. And when the Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, it's true. Because as I began to share Jesus with them, there was other kids kind of in this area that were hanging out in different places, but this eight kids became about like 15 kids. And that 15 kids became about 20 to 30 kids. And there was between, I don't know exactly, but I would say between probably 30 to 40 kids in, in a circle. And uh, some of them were mocking me and, you know, giving me weird comments, and I just ignored them. I was just like, I can see, I could see. Have you ever talked to somebody about the Lord? And you can see in their eyes, you can see in their face that, that the Holy Spirit is, is driving things deeper into their hearts than even what you're saying. And you know there's something going on. There's a, there's a battle taking place over this person's soul. And I just spoke to those people. Like, I'm going to ignore these dudes that are clowning me, and I'm just going to talk to these other kids, you know? And I just shared Jesus, and I was like, listen, if you want Jesus, I'm going to walk over here. Follow me. Follow me over here, and we'll pray. And I just stepped out of the crowd, and I walked about 15, 20 feet away. And I would say maybe like 10 to 12 kids came over and, and accepted the Lord and I'm not telling you this to make myself look good because I already told you how selfish and stupid I am. But what I'm telling you this story for is, is to say that, that in spite of me, God used me. And he used 
his gospel, which is truly powerful. Because guys, here's the thing. We can think these things like they're not going to listen. They're not going to care. And I think the problem a lot of times is that we're afraid of what they're going to say back to us or the response. And as I thought about it in my own heart, it's like, what am I afraid of? That they're going to say yes? Really? Are we afraid that people are going to say yes? Because people are waiting to hear about the hope that we have within us that is only found in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know him, know that he is the answer. He is the solution. He is the remedy. He's the one that you need. He is the only one who saves. There is no other besides him. And guys, sometimes we just need to get out of the way. Sometimes we need to get over ourselves. I can call it fear, but it's really selfishness. Guys, he wants to use us for some reason. I don't know why, but he wants to. Even when you're stupid like me and you are selfish, he still wants to use us. Now, let's move on to chapter 4 as we make our way to the end of our time. Let's read verses 1 through 7. It says, And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Here in chapter 4, we see the eighth thing I've gleaned on continuing in faith. And that's that we are to remember and not forget what God has done in the past. Guys, we need to remember. We need to look back, not to live in the old days, not to live in the old triumphs, but we look back to remind ourselves of his faithfulness in the past so that today we will remember that he is still faithful, that he's still moving, that he is still working. We need to remember as we move on in chapter 5, let's look at verses 13 through 15 as we look at our ninth point. It says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. The ninth thing I've gleaned on continuing in faith is that when God calls us to move forward, he's already on the other side waiting for us. Scholars call what we see here a theophany, which is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And the reason they believe that this is 
a theophany is because no angel in the Bible ever accepted worship by man, only God. And in fact, this is reminiscent of Moses' experience at the burning bush when the voice from the bush spoke and said, take your sandals off your feet, for this is holy ground. The same words are spoken now to Joshua by the commander of the Lord's army, Jesus Christ himself, already there, already there on the other side. Be encouraged that whatever the Lord is putting in front of you today, he's already on the other side, waiting with sword drawn, and he is going to be the one to win the battle. He will. And what we learn from this and what we should take away from this experience that Joshua has is that God wants us to be greater worshipers of him. We can never be too intimate with God. We can never arrive at a place where we go, I think I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough time with you. He's wanting us in this life of faith to be people, men and women, who are true worshipers of him. Guys, because it's in that time where we see him as he truly is, where we let go of the distractions and we just focus everything on him, that it starts to rock our whole world. So have you ever had those times? It may not even be a time where you're sitting here or having music going. It could be in your shower. It could be in your car. It could be anywhere where all of a sudden you're just worshiping God from your heart and he just goes, yes, this is what we are all about. This is that thing that I am desiring from you. And guys, it really does change everything about us. Now, moving on into chapter 6, our last point, and I'm not going to even read through this chapter. We don't even have time, although I'd love to. The tenth and final thing that I've gleaned on continuing in faith, which we see in this chapter, is that God will many times use unlikely means so that he gets all the glory. Here's Joshua. They finally get across the Jordan to the other side. They've made this step of faith. They've entered into the land that God told them to enter into. And now it's go time. Here's Jericho. Here's the city that initially the spies 30 years earlier came in and said, man, we can't go in here. Their cities are fortified. They're just, man, these walls are impenetrable. There's no way. And now all of a sudden, it's battle plan time. And what does Joshua tell his men? We're going to march around the city, and we're going to blow some trumpets. Can you imagine? You know, after all they had been through, after the 40 years in the wilderness, they finally get into the promised land. You know these guys got into the huddle thinking... There's going to be some hardcore strategy, like we're going to dig under the walls. We're going to get battery rams out and ram down the wall. We're going to shoot flaming arrows. We're going to catapult. I don't know what, but you know, they're thinking like there's going to be some hardcore, like Braveheart action battles going on up in here. But instead, Joshua says, we're going to march and we're going to blow some trumpets. And they're going to do that once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. And then we're going to shout. And you know what's rad? Is that it doesn't tell us that anybody went, are you kidding me, Joshua? Are you, wait, like, are you sure about this? Because they had been walking in faith, because they had seen God move, because God's presence 
had been right there with them because God was already on the other side meeting with them. They trusted that whatever God told them, they had faith to walk in and to obey. Because this does not make sense in any rational, logical mindset. To walk around a city and blow some trumpets does not make sense. To walk around a city once a day for six days and then on the seventh day to do it seven times and then shout does not make sense. But as I said, God likes to use unlikely means so that he gets all the glory. Not one person afterwards said, did you hear me shout? Like, I'm pretty sure mine was the one that knocked down the walls. Like, it was pretty epic, pretty crazy. (laughs) Pretty sure, like... I had a prehistoric thing going on where they can amplify my voice. Guys, no one could take credit for what God did in the defeat of Jericho. All glory went to the Lord. I don't know what it is for you guys. I know what God's doing in my life and in my heart. Not even fully, I don't think. The things he's been putting on my heart, they're not comfortable to me. And many times the things that he calls us to are not comfortable and they don't always make sense the way that we think that they should but they are the best if they're from him because he meets us in it his presence is there in it we see him working in it and we get to give him all the glory in it and it's sweet and maybe today the lord has already been stirring your heart for something maybe a person he's been wanting you to talk to or stepping out into faith into a new area of ministry that he's been stirring you for Maybe there's been water that God's been calling you to step out into and you've been a little afraid to get into it. Know that he will be with you and meet you if he's really calling you to it. But maybe this morning you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ. Maybe you are like, great, Jared. This whole continuing in faith thing sounds great. It's all well and good. But that's not me. I don't really know what that's all about. You feel like an outsider looking in. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus came to give you life because without him, you are dead in your sin. And without him, you will die in your sin and be eternally separated from him. But he doesn't want you to go there. Guys, Jesus paid the penalty for your and my sin by dying on the cross. And for those of us who believe, we go, thank you. Lord, yes, I was dead, now I'm alive. I was in darkness, now you have brought me into your marvelous light. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once lame, and you made me walk. And we get it. We know the transformation that's taken place in our hearts. And you may not even be able to verbalize that and articulate that to somebody fully. But you know that you were dead, and now you're alive. And it's all due to what Jesus Christ has done. Not because of you, not because of good works, not because of a moral lifestyle, but because when he hung on the cross, he took our sin. He took our punishment. The punishment for sin is death, the Bible tells us. That is the wages. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And while Jesus hung on the cross, we're told that he became our propitiation, which is a huge word meaning he took all of our wrath. He took the wrath that was meant for us so that we wouldn't have to. He took our punishment so that we could go free. 
And guys, this morning, that offer of salvation is free and open, and he's holding it out to you. And if you're here today and you never put your faith in Jesus Christ, don't leave here without giving your heart to him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, this morning, God, I thank you for your great love for us. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough not to leave us where we're at. That, Lord, you're calling us forward. You're calling us to continue in faith, Lord, because faith is what pleases you. Faith is what brings you glory. Faith is what is going to impact this world for your kingdom. And, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that, Lord, you would pour out your spirit upon them, God, that you would anoint them, that, God, you would encourage and build them up, Lord. That, God, they would not be afraid nor be dismayed, but that they would be strong and courageous because, Lord, you are with them wherever they go. Lord, would they step out in faith? Would they step out into new ventures of faith, God? Would they trust you, Lord? Would they take you at your word? Would they be ambassadors for Jesus Christ in this world, bringing a message of reconciliation, saying you can be reconciled to God? It's possible through Christ. Lord, would you use them? Would you anoint them? Would you love on them? If there's hurts in here, Lord, if there's physical, spiritual, mental, emotional pain, I pray that you would minister as the great physician, as only you can, to each heart, to each mind. Love on your people. And Lord, for anyone in this place this morning who may not know you, Lord, I don't know where they're at. You do, God. And I believe that you've been speaking to their hearts, if there is anyone here. That Holy Spirit, you've already been saying to them that they need Jesus. That there is a sin problem that can only be fixed at the cross of Christ. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would even now be convicting and convincing them. And as everyone's eyes are closed, if there is anyone in here today, maybe you've never accepted Christ into your heart. Maybe you've even been coming here for a while, but yet you've never really fully surrendered to him. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the gospel. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to come down front. Just where you're at, just raise your hand and I'll pray for you. If there's anybody here at all, amen, brother, you can put your hand down. Is there anybody else this morning? You're saying, that's me. I need my sins forgiven. I want a love that I've never known before. I want to experience peace like I've never had. I want to tell you, it only comes through Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. Cannot have peace apart from him. Anybody else? Amen. Well, brother, pray with me in your heart between you and the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creation. Give me the promise of eternal life. Pour out your spirit upon me and help me to live my life for you and to stay close to you all my days. Jesus, I love you, I need you, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.